The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speaker. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice from your own physician. Welcome, everyone, to the latest installment of the podcast series brought to you by the North American Spine Society, where we highlight articles from the Spineline publication. My name is Alex Michael. I'm the chair of the Public Affairs Committee with NAS, and I'm a practicing neurosurgeon in St. Louis, Missouri with Mercy Clinic Neurosurgery. I am fortunate to have with me Dr. Claude Borowski. He's a physical medicine and rehabilitation physician. He's also the chair of the Political Engagement Committee for the North American Spine Society. And we're here to discuss an often neglected area of healthcare, and that is one of uh, political advocacy. In particular, Dr. Browski will share with us insight from his paper, Maximizing Effectiveness When Meeting with Your uh, Member of Congress. And that will hopefully enable our listeners to better engage with political officials and make our voices better heard. So Dr. Browski, thank you again for being here with us. You're welcome. Uh, if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit about your background, maybe some of your training, and how you have a, a bec become a part of political engagement committee, and um, what really interests you in political advocacy from the beginning? Well, uh, actually, I really wasn't interested in political advocacy in the beginning. I did my training at um, in medical school at UCSF. I went on to become a physiatrist and developed uh, an interest in chronic pain management, worked with a group of uh, surgeons and uh, interventional physiatrists managing their tertiary pain problems. And I was quite happy just doing that and keeping my head down and making myself the best uh, pain management physician I could be, but uh, I became aware uh, during the course of my work that there were other factors that were affecting my patients' uh, care, um, their relationships with insurance companies, their relationship with third-party payers, all the changes in third-party payment models that might deny them access to care, and it became clear that uh, the whole job was not just what took place in the office. And that if I really wanted to safeguard my patient's care, I had to go beyond that and become politically active. Um, some of my background helps with that. I did a, um, I studied uh, uh, moral philosophy and medical ethics, which you know introduces you to some uh, political issues and, and issues uh, arising from politics. But for the most part, I was very happy just being a, an interventional physiatrist and chronic pain management physician. Oh, that, that's excellent. Because I think a lot of people have that same mindset. You know, they get out into training. Uh, all they do is they want to provide good quality care. They want to perfect their skill set. But you're right, a lot of us have become limited by what we're allowed to do, the bureaucracy of medicine. And so I think a lot of people have felt that, but a lot of people are also um, a little timid about taking that next step. So I think the, the, that's a good segue into your paper on um, how we can enable the common practitioner to do just that. So 
I wanted to start right at the beginning. What do you feel like is holding most people back from advocating for their profession to the members of Congress? Well, I think it's a combination of the fact that most physicians and especially spine physicians aren't natural political animals. They, like I was, they're very happy keeping their head down and doing an excellent job of what they do. Um, And going that extra mile and and attending endless meetings uh, uh, that involve political activism is not what we're generally inclined to do by nature. Um, But it is part of what you need to do in order to uh, affect change. The other things that really interfere, I think, are some myths out there that um, about politics that people outside of politics believe, but really when you get to, when you actually start doing the work of politics, you realize are not true. Um, One of the most common ones is that money is everything and that all politicians are bought and paid for uh, by big lobbying money and that you're wasting your time if you don't Uh, if you're not tied to some big corporation that has huge cash uh, slush funds. That really is not true, uh, which you find out when you actually do political activism. Um, There's also a lot of cynicism being generated by um, the the endless stories about how dysfunctional um, the political uh, infighting is uh, in Washington. But uh, that always that's a very sexy story for the media, but uh, the 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 everyday work that people are doing in Congress, uh, forging bipartisan consensus on a number of issues and getting a number of things done, never gets covered by the media because it's it's, it's not it's fairly dull, <laughs> but it's where most of the work gets done, and actually that's where we can be effective by letting. Uh, members of Congress know what the actual work is like in the trenches so that their policy that they work on is informed by reality. Um, There's also um, a lot of, uh, a lot of people feel that if they have a political party affiliation and their, and their member of Congress is not uh, the same party that they won't be able to get anywhere uh, with political activism. And that's also not true because the members of Congress, as I said, really rely on us as trusted sources of under, for understanding what the real day-to-day practice of medicine is like. And no matter what party you're from, that, that information is valuable to your member of Congress. Yeah, and you made a point to mention that too, that specifically medical professionals um, may have a, a certain respect that is garnered by their members of Congress that is different than other political activists, educators, for example. Um, can you tell me more about your experience with that and why you feel like physicians in general may have you know, an upper hand in, in getting the ear of their, their respective congressional member? Yeah. Because we live in the field, we tend to think that our, our, what we do day to day just isn't that special uh, because it becomes part of our daily life. But to most outsiders, the work of a physician still 
uh, garners a tremendous amount of respect. And actually, a person who, who expressed that in a really funny but, uh, con uh, but uh, convincing way was um, the um, ex-NPR ex correspondent, he now works for Fox, uh, Juan Williams. He was uh, talking at a, a political event in Washington, and he was talking about how we woefully underestimate how much clout and respect we have and carry with members of Congress. And the way he put it was, people walk into your office, walk into uh, the exam room, take off their clothes and start talking about the most intimate details to you. And this is just mind boggling to the rest of us. Yeah. Nobody, nobody has that kind of relationship. Every, every day for us, yeah. <laughs> yes. And it's a, it means something else to members of Congress. Many members of Congress actually, they, they um, transact uh, in terms of trust and relationships. They use trust to, to garner support for what they wanna do. And they cannot generate anywhere near the trust that physicians can. And it impresses them and at sometimes scares them a little bit because what they would do <laughs> with trust like that is uh, use it to convince patients to uh, support them or a particular issue. We don't tend to engage that in that type of activity. Point. I've never thought of that. Yeah, I mean, we, we deal with some of the most uh, intimate dealings of their life and you know, times where they're at their, their darkest and, and we can be accustomed to it because we see it all the time. Um, and you're, so you're, you're so right. There's one thing that you did say too early on about that kind of the lack of getting into advocacy. And I, I think it's partially because we don't see a direct correlation to benefit. And I think physicians at times can, can be that way too. Just being transactional, especially as you get older and more established, you want to see a one-to-one -one relationship with whether it's RVUs or some kind of outcome. And, and for, for political advocacy, you don't really see that directly correlating with any anything to help you, I, I guess, immediately. Yes. And maybe that plays a part for a lot of people. That is very, very true. And um, it's one of the uh, things we have to fight in our own nature to be effective advocates. Um, advocacy is more like the steady drip, drip, drip that carves the Grand Canyon. You don't win every battle. You don't win every war. But if you're there in uh, your congressman's office and if you're on uh, Capitol Hill uh, year in and year out, people start to adopt the way of thinking that you're conveying. It takes years, but it uh, allows you to win battles down the road. Uh, you, you can't feel like you have to win every fight because that's just not possible. Um, congressmen have huge world of things to deal with. And we have to sometimes accept that our issues are not the most important at that moment. So in, in your life, has there been a single moment or a sequence of moments when you started realizing that activism on your part was actually able to affect change in policy? Yeah, there were two big aha moments for me. Um, 
One was in uh, 2013. Uh, the Gang of Eight was uh, pushing uh, comprehensive immigration reform, which, by the way, was supported by every moneyed interest in the country. It, every business uh, was interested in seeing that pass. We were, go we were going to Washington, I think it was with NAS, it might've been with the Alliance of Specialty Medicine. And we were going to the, our, the offices of our congressmen to do our usual visits. And typically what you would see as you're walking through the halls of Congress is a scattering, a smattering of people wandering through the halls, going from place to place. What we were confronted with that day was literal rivers of people, many of whom had uh, themed t-shirts opposing the comprehensive immigration reform. And these rivers were in every office building on the Capitol that day. And every time we stepped into a congressman's office or a senator's office, they were rattled. <laughs> they could not concentrate on the issues that we were trying to bring to them. They were concerned that if they went the wrong way on immigration, their careers were over. And that showed me for the first time in stark detail how motivated activism uh, and, and incited electorate can overcome any amount of money uh, on an issue. Um, the other moment that I've, I've had several times is when I've watched congressmen uh, holding hearings, uh, mostly uh, often on C-SPAN, and heard them parrot back some of the talking points that we have shared with them over the years uh, as advocates for spine care. Uh, once again, that was the that was not the, the river of activism, that was the steady drip, drip, drip of activism yielding fruit. And we've gotten many, many members of Congress to come around to our way of thinking about um, policy measures that are good for spine care. Yeah, and back to your point where you know money can only go so far, but it's really votes that Put them in their seat to begin with and they know that and when it when it comes down to voting for the different issues they remember you know the people that they're trying to to represent and you yes, also the, made a really, go ahead well, i was going to mention your your excellent point about how they try to um i guess average out the numbers if they get a certain amount of emails or um, foot traffic they're, they're trying to make an estimate on how that relates to the general public. Because obviously everybody has an idea and can take a political side, but not everybody expresses it. So they try to look at that expression as some kind of representation of the general public. So all those, they, they seem like they add up in the mind of a politician. Yes, uh, this was taught to us by the professional lobbyists for the Alliance of Specialty Medicine. Every congressional office tallies visits and letters and phone calls on and the issues that they're about. Um, one letter is assumed to represent 10 possible voters. One visit 
in-person visit is assumed to potentially represent 100 voters. So if you can get 50 people during two years of a congressional cycle to visit a congressman's office on a particular issue, they're assuming that there's 5,000 votes out there that might not go their way if they not, don't uh, do something constructive about the issue that you're raising. And in many closely um, fought elections, 5,000 votes can be the difference between going back to Washington and staying Oh, home. yeah, absolutely. So for someone like my, myself, someone naive in advocacy, wanting to become more involved, can you go over maybe a few initial steps that you would recommend to take? Yes. Um, you as, can, as, we, we should just... Yeah, we'll start with spine professionals. Um, I am curious to hear a little bit more about the Alliance of Medicine and um, what that includes. Is is NAS have a, a an arm under that larger umbrella? Is that made up of multi-disciplinary smaller groups? Yeah, the Alliance of Specialty Medicine is the larger alliance of which NAS is a participant. It okay. involves gastroenterologists, neurosurgeons, spine surgeons. Um, uh, ophthalmologists. Um, uh, there used to be cardiothoracic surgeons. There's neurologists. Uh, and there's a number of other subspecialties that are part of it. It represents about 150,000 physicians. Um, so it's a sizable group and NAS benefits from piggybacking on that group. Um, they also carry with them a great deal of resources for teaching. In fact, some of what I've learned about advocacy has come from learning from the professionals at the Alliance of Specialty Medicine. But for people in NAS, the first step is really to get uh, involved as part of the NAS Action Network. And that, that's easy enough to do. You can contact the uh, advocacy committee staff and uh, they will reach out to people and uh, facilitate them participating to the degree that they feel comfortable. A uh, very uh, beginning way is just simply by becoming aware of and getting involved with email blasts on various issues that are raised by the uh, advocacy committee that are important to spine care and which come out periodically in the emails that are sent to all NAS members. Um, the Advocacy uh, committee staff, who are very excellent, Harry DeCabo and uh, Joshua Webster, will also help facilitate your first um, visit to a member of Congress. And um, if you wanted to visit in-home uh, at the in-home district, um, they will provide you with materials on the issues that NAS frequently presents every year. Uh, those issues change depending on what the legislative agenda looks like, but uh, there are issue briefs that present issues related to uh, things that the advocacy committee has been pushing with members of Congress. Um, there's also primers on how to uh, be effectively uh, advocate. Uh, some of that is summarized in my article. And um, it can go from it can go from there. Uh, a great learning experience is joining one of the 
uh, NAS uh, uh, trips to Washington, D.C., where we visit various uh, con congressmen and uh, congressional and Senate offices, including if you're there, if you sign up, you're personal member of Congress's office, and you advocate with several other members of the committee uh, and see how they approach things. Um, how, often, how often are those trips? Are they a couple times a year or is that once the a NAS year? The NAS meeting is in usually typically in April once a year, and the Alliance of Specialty Medicine meeting is usually sometime in July. Um, if you're a uh, wilting flower and you hate the heat, I would recommend the April meeting <laughs> because Washington DC in July and a tie is, no, is, is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> well, how about with the advent of social media platforms and, and more digital platforms, is there other ways that are being utilized to advocate for policy change that you feel like is just as engaging with political officials or perhaps even more engaging? Are you seeing more of, uh, of that different avenue instead of person-to-person -person contact or emails? Well, with COVID, uh, Zoom meetings and uh, email communication has really taken over. We hadn't done an in-person meeting uh, for about two and a half, three years. Um, and we're just going back to it this year. Um, a lot of people are active on Twitter. I've never really fallen in love with Twitter. I'm not the best source for, for uh, how best to utilize that. Although, uh, once again, the NASA advocacy staff can really uh, help people become effective Twitter users. Um, I've just never fallen in love with that platform. Yeah, I haven't either. <laughs> Um, I may well, just be too old. <laughs> no, that's not it. No, I, I, I don't understand it. Um, well, what advice would you give to someone who is maybe hesitant or intimidated about meeting with their member of Congress directly, especially in this time where everything is digitized and there's almost faceless, you know, opponents or proponents, I guess, if you're on social media, I would say jump right in because, um, Believe it or not, your congressman really wants to see you. Uh, like I said, the medical professionals are greatly respected. Um, their opinions uh, are really, really helpful. Congressmen are awash with professional lobbyists uh, hawking uh, opinions that they know are financially motivated. Um, they're awash with academics who tend to be in love with pushing uh, their particular uh, theories of what's best for medical reform. Um, and they just find it incredibly refreshing to meet with an actual doctor who can tell them stories of actual patients and um, who is telling them what the reality is in the trenches, things that they don't necessarily hear from, pe from people who are uh, motivated to tell them how successful their policies are. Um, I was just about to bring that up, and you make a mention of that multiple times. Tell a story, make it personable, 
make it relatable. And they, you guys have found that to be very impactful and even brought up in the future. Yes. Members of Congress um, are very sociable animals. They really love in-person. Uh, they love personal stories. They love to share personal stories and they remember personal stories. Stats and, uh, and position papers are good to share with the staff because it puts meat on the bones uh, for policy positions that we're advocating for. But for your member of Congress to remember what you told them, tying it to a story is invaluable. Um, and as I said, uh, if you do that, you may hear that story retold in a, in a hearing sometime on C-SPAN. <laughs> um, and you said that most of these um, congressional members have a, uh, maybe a secretary, for lack of a better word, that covers their health policy. And you might be meeting with that particular person, at least the first couple meetings. Yes. Is that the, the, They have professional staff, volunteers. Um, uh-huh. Well, they're not volunteers, they're paid, but they have a volunteer mentality. They're very uh, uh, motivated, uh, idealistic, highly, uh, and they're highly, uh, devoted to their congressmen and to providing them with the best information. They tend to be extremely young, uh, but don't let that fool you. They, after a relatively short period of time, they know unbelievable amounts about the politics of shepherding policy in, to become a bill eventually. And they know all the uh, the ins and outs and challenges that that policy might face. And listening to them is very important because it will open our eyes to the uh, the challenges that we face and ha- uh, helps us have a little bit of patience with shepherding the the a bill along if we're in favor of that bill. Well, so what about? following up with members of Congress to maybe continue the conversation and then trying to build a relationship. Any advice uh, for traversing that? Yeah, the, um, it's, it's critical to follow up with whoever you, st- whichever staff member you met with by email after your visit, thanking them, of course, for their time. And it's, it's a very useful uh, to have some knowledge of what are the most important issues to your member of Congress as, when it, as far as the healthcare field is related so that you can then also offer your expertise as a resource uh, should uh, the Congressman need some type of feedback as he's pursuing his particular favorite goal in healthcare. That is, it's always valuable to leave your, 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 your name and yourself as a resource. The other things that um, you should probably arrange to do is follow up if you met with them in Washington, follow up with them in their home office. If you met with them in the home office, follow up with them in Washington. And another thing that we've done often is uh, offer to uh, ha- uh, 
I should say, ask the staff of the advocacy committee to help arrange a site visit, an actual visit by the congressman to your clinic or your uh, facility. Um, they often find that very, very interesting. They get to see what spine care looks like. Um, sometimes you can even arrange a meeting with a particular patient who illustrates a point that you've been making. Um, uh, that patient will be a, unless they're from far outside of the district, that, that patient's likely to be a constituent and the congressman will have a special interest there as well. Um, that is often uh, a way of really imprinting your identity uh, and, and having the congressman remember who you are. Uh, and if they bring a staff member, which they usually do along to that meeting, uh, make sure that you uh, try to cultivate the relationship with that staff member as well. And you'll be uh, far along the way to having more than just a casual relationship with your congressman. They'll know who you are. Yeah, all great advice. Well, yeah, I think we covered a, an excellent amount of material. Dr. Brask, I wanna again, thank you for all you've done to help advocate for all the spine specialists. And I wanna encourage anybody listening uh, that is interested in taking the next step toward advocacy to look into joining the NAS Action Network uh, or by taking the next step to join the political engagement committee. Um, if you guys are still accepting members for this next term. We're always happy to see more people involved. Excellent. Well, um, that would be the conclusion of our latest Spineline podcast. And again, this is brought to you by the North American Spine Society.